Welcome back to episode 38 of the Hockey House podcast presented by Selly Hockey Co. I'm your host, Mackenzie Murphy, joined once again virtually by Stephen Glick and Colin Fitzgerald. We're going to toss things over to Glick. Glick, tough weekend for the Owls. Uh, what did you guys take away from the games this weekend? Yeah, uh, not quite the result getting um, two losses past weekend, but honestly, we just got to learn from it. We're just trying to move forward, learn from our mistakes, and just trying to bring it to Townsend next week. And uh, you made your return to the famed Class of 23 arena in, in Philly to take on Drexel. You were surprised by the, the lack of burgers in their vending machine. Yeah, you know, I came back uh, about two years after I gave them their scathing review of negative two out of 10. I hope maybe they would have improved, but they did the complete opposite. There's just no burgers in sight. So I was very disappointed I couldn't get another review in. Fitz, how are you doing tonight? Doing good, boys. Not much going on for me. Just been playing men's league and lifting some weights, trying to get ready for main camp coming up. But uh, pretty uneventful things. I watched Indiana take the ice for the first time this season. They dropped the ball. They were up 5-1 going into the third on Bradley. And uh, they were going for the sweep in game two. And then they ended up losing 6-5 in regulation. So not a good look for the uh, the Hoosiers coming out. But we'll see if they can bounce back. How have you been doing, Murph? I've been great. I mean, things aren't ideal here in, in Syracuse the past week. It, it's been crazy, and I guess it, it comes with the territory. So last week, Club Sports came out, told us, hey, no fans at games. We were like, are, are you kidding me? Like, we had 30,000 people at the football game the other day. How are you going to say no fans? And I mean, they retreated right away. They told us that we could have uh, friends, family, and students at games. I don't know what that means for visiting fans. I don't think there's anyone at the door checking to make sure you're a Syracuse fan or not. But it, it is what it is, and, and we're happy that things are going the way they are it, it's cool to have a game on the schedule this week i get to come on the pod and i get to play hockey this week so i'm thrilled we've got uh some issues with our logo though um syracuse university came out and told us that it was actually uh within 24 hours of them telling us that we could have fans they came back and said well you can have fans but you you actually can't use the logo anymore the block s is not permitted on uh marketing materials apparel websites social media the only thing it's allowed on is the uniforms which at this point i'll take um i'd rather have the s be on the uniforms than anything else so we're waiting on our new jerseys to come in from rebirth as in a couple weeks we'll talk to doug green from rebirth and do an interview with him but yeah like i said it's exciting we have a new coaching staff and playing stony brook this weekend and we haven't played in in a year and a half and neither has stony brook so two teams O and O in the Eastern States Collegiate Hockey League battling it out. We got interconference play right away, so that, that's going to be an exciting one for sure. Looking forward to it. I, you know, Glick's gotten to skate already, and, and and I'm just waiting for my turn. That'll be the next thing to go. They'll take the S off the jersey. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's exactly you know tread carefully at this point because we don't want to make anybody mad and and have them take that away from us we are working on um unionizing the club sports teams at syracuse get us a unified you know organization where we can stick together we don't want one team taking the fall for another team's actions yeah hopefully hopefully that works out we we do have a uh a conference banner hanging up at the rink with the block s on it i hope they don't they don't take that down anytime soon that being said i do love your little creative solution for what the logo is going to be on social media. Yeah, I mean, we had, you know, first off, we started with a simple protest. We just took away the block S on social media. So it looked really empty and, and people were upset. After a couple of days, people started suggesting ideas. I think the ideas were an orange juice bottle, an orange, a, an orange street hockey puck and an orange street hockey ball. 
I mean, classic orange objects that we all have around our house. By far, the winning vote was the orange juice bottle. And so we had that up for a couple of days. Shout out to Herm, though. Herm was like, hey, you might want to avoid some copyright and maybe not have Simply Orange be advertising on your profile picture. So we've since adjusted it. It is now a Syracuse University hockey branded orange juice bottle. Um, and so hopefully that lightens the mood on social media for what has been kind of a, a rocky start to this this fall semester. Syracuse orange juice coming to a store near you. Absolutely. Hashtag get juiced. Where can I buy a Syracuse? orange juice t-shirt that'll have to be approved by the university because if the shirt says men's ice hockey at syracuse university it's gonna have to go through the trademark office first so just just so you're aware of that in other news in the acha this week there was plenty of action to be had around the league first up we had a couple matchups that we highlighted in our game of the week lindenwood shut out missouri state five nothing on opening night nice little home opener at centene for the lions they would eventually get the sweep and beat the missouri state bears the next night as well another game that we highlighted was arkansas division three acha team traveling to Oklahoma, a Division One power. This is an interesting matchup. It, it, we talked about it. It's the future of the SEC, Oklahoma and Arkansas. We saw Arkansas hand Texas a loss in football, and that was kind of a welcome to the SEC moment. This time it was Arkansas's hockey team traveling to Oklahoma, and they taught them a lesson on the first night. Huge upset for the Razorbacks. They beat the Sooners by a score of 4-1 to one on the Friday night game, and then uh, the Sooners pulled it together on that Saturday game and beat, returned the favor, winning 4-1 to one over the Razorbacks. So that's cool, though, to see a Division Three team walking into a Division One arena and uh, getting the W on the first night. I don't know if you guys have ever played teams out of the division, have you? We have a few times I believe Virginia Tech, we played against their D2 team and we lost. We played Liberty's D2 team and lost. We played Drexel's D2 team and won my freshman year. Then NJIT, we beat them by a pretty big margin. But those are the only interdivision games I've played. Yeah, I think for us, we played U of I's D1 team once and all twice, but got beat both times. I want to give a quick shout out to Illinois State. They played U of I's D1 squad this uh, past weekend, Illinois State's D1 squad. They swept them. So quick shout out to the Redbirds. In more action, we had Herm's Bobcats. They opened up back up at Bird Arena in front of a, a limited capacity crowd, but they thrashed John Carroll, swept them both times. Second game was, I believe, 8 nothing. So, I mean, that that's a tough matchup for John Carroll. But staying in Ohio, Miami of Ohio's D2 team is 5-0 and to start off the year. Fitz, I know that that's always a tough team to play in division two yeah it doesn't surprise me that they're they're off to a hot start my hoosiers better be ready to go go play them because they're a tough team to play against pretty much what you'd expect from a, a team with a ncaa program there as well so always a tough one going and playing uh, the boys in Miami of Ohio. And that D2 talk leads us right into the interview we have for everyone today. Jim Martin joins us. He's the head coach at Michigan State's Division II team, and he's also the treasurer for the ACHA. So he provided us with a lot of insight on what it's like in the league offices. I, I should say offices in parentheses. Jim kind of gave us some insight on what the league office looks like across the map. He had nothing but great things to say, and, and we really enjoyed the perspective he gave as a coach and as someone who works for the league. We're pleased now to be joined by the current treasurer of the ACHA and current head coach of Michigan State's Division II ACHA team, Jim Martin. Welcome to the Hockey House. Hey, thanks for uh, having me. This is great. Jim, we're ecstatic to have you. We've been doing this for a long time. We've never had an ACHA employee come on the show, so we're, we're pumped to have you. Oh, yeah. No, I'm glad to do it. Although, I'll clarify, I'm just a, uh, I'm just a, a dedicated volunteer, though, so... Don't receive any compensation or anything else from them, and I'm not an employee, nor do my views always represent those of the ACHA, so... 
<laughs> well, the ACHA runs on volunteers. Am I right? It absolutely does. It absolutely is a volunteer-driven organization even today. Kind of talk us through all the different hats you wear right now. You, you've got your your daily job and you're coaching at Michigan State, and then you're also helping out the ACHA. It's one of the fortunate things, I suppose, about ACHA hockey and our team in particular is our practices, like many teams in the league, are kind of later at night. So we're at 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night, which doesn't interfere with my work schedule. So I can usually have a full day of work and then you know get ready to go to practice and head up for practice and that. And then uh, the treasure job is we have enough systems now and enough um, things in place where – there's really not that much that's immediately pressing. You know, I can I have the, the freedom at work to answer some emails when they come in. You know, I get enough leeway. I can answer questions when people have questions or need assistance or have trouble paying bills or trouble getting their, their score sheets or whatever. So it's a balancing act sometimes, but it, it usually works out okay. There, there are some... There are a lot of times, especially if I'm on the road for the weekend, that things get backed up a little bit, but usually it's pretty manageable, though. So, Craig, we're wrong. The ACHA offices are located in Michigan as well, right? Yeah, I mean, the, to say offices is a little, uh, that's, a little uh, <laughs> that's a little grandiose, too. But it's really the uh, Troy, it says Troy, Michigan on all the uh, press releases and that, just because as the treasurer, I sign the tax return. So that's technically in the whole world of uh, nonprofits. ACHA is, of course, a 501c3. It's a nonprofit. And so in the world of nonprofits, it's really the tax return is what establishes where you are. We're also formed in uh, in Maryland. It's a Maryland corporation, but the main drivers, you know, where the tax returns get signed and I sign those and I live in Troy. And so we have a PO box there and that's why the, it's the Troy address on everything there. But it's really not much more than my laptop in my living room at some point. But. <laughs> so the, the operations happening from across the country, different people around the country helping make sure the machine operates correctly. That's exactly right. We have uh, Craig Barnett now, who's our, our full-time executive director and so he's got a lot of time and he talks spends his day speaking to people throughout the day going to recruiting events different showcases and things and talking about the ACHA and that and we do have as you say dedicated volunteers throughout the country the commissioners are out there interfacing directly with teams and they have some assistance depending on the league and that and all sorts of other people regional coordinators and a lot of other very dedicated people out working every day to help help make sure that things run smoothly for all the teams out there we start off every show by by asking people what's kind of their welcome to the ACHA moment you've been coaching for a long time now when you got behind the bench what was your uh welcome to the acha moment that was probably yeah it was probably in 2001 in the fall and we went to we had a showcase out and i had done the schedule it was done by the the, the kids that were doing it before uh before i did i didn't make the schedule this year we went to a showcase at iup sam kelly put it together and we had uh, paul heber who's currently the president now of the acha was coaching um sienna at that time and so we had I think three games we played Sienna in the second game or something in the uh, the the night after the first game on Friday and you know kind of back and I was much much younger than of course and so it was kind of one of those boys being boys in the hotel and I took an elbow just above the eye and my eye basically was swollen shut it was just cut you know a decent cut on there I was I was slow you know it's pretty swollen shot and um had to go to the game with Sienna the next day and the amount of shit I got from both the refs and Paul Hebert and all the kids on the ice from the other team I just got chirped incessantly for having a uh, just this shiner on the bench and that was sort of the uh, that was sort of the wake-up call about <laughs> what, what would happen in the league so that's amazing that's uh especially like you said that, that was your first year coaching correct 
Yeah, that was about three weeks into two weeks into it, three weeks into it. It was uh, just one of those things that was just sticks out as being very funny at the beginning. So, And then when you took on this role with the league, was there any other welcome to the ACHA moments that you got to see from maybe the behind the scenes perspective? Yeah, that's a good question. It was it was different because I'd always gone to, and of course it's the uh, the national meeting in, in Naples, and I'd always gone to those as being a participant, just sort of the, the guy in the room there. You know, it's different when you see, and it is really different when you see that to what you see behind the scenes when you do that. And they were looking at the time that the secretary at the time was, you know, moving on. They didn't, they couldn't do it any longer. And so I volunteered to be the secretary. I think I ran uh, unopposed that year. So again, the board positions aren't always in contention on elections and things, but I was fortunate enough to join as that. But seeing behind the scenes, it, it was interesting just to see there's a whole other dynamic, you know, among the board people in that. There really is, and even to this day, and it's something that we're still trying to address. And when we talk about your podcast and that, we talk about that a little more, but it really is trying to gain that greater connection back to the teams. And I don't know that that's always there with things. I have it with my team and my players, but being able to get the connection with more of the player levels rather than interfacing through either coaches or commissioners is a big deal. And it's a big deal to me and the other and a lot of the other members of the board about how we can do that better. That was probably the biggest one was to see that, you know, the, the ACHA, they were, and, and don't get me wrong, everybody was working hard and doing the best decisions they had, but there was just this disconnect where, you know, how do you know what the, what the players are actually thinking and what the players would actually like? That's something we, you know, I've, since I've been on the board, I've tried to really work through and, and keep uh, try to keep those connections too. So which is again another reason I was very happy to come on the show with you today. So yeah, I think that's one of the things we've found. I think there's a huge passion that the players in this league have for the league and they love to represent the ACHA because it, it is really cool. You know, other club sports at universities don't have a, a huge governing body. And I think the ACHA gives everybody that legitimacy to kind of say, hey, no, we have a league. This is a real thing and and it's legit. Yeah, I agree. When you first got to Michigan State, what was kind of the ACHA like back then? You were coaching, you're coaching in a place that has a very strong NCAA team. What were the early days like for you coaching at Michigan State? Yeah, it was, uh, so the ACHA was, well, it was first of all, a lot smaller. So I think D2 had at the time, I remember it was around 105 or something like that. And the whole league was maybe, maybe 200 through everything. You know, at the time, D3, men's three was pretty new. They started started a couple years before that and there wasn't a women's two yet either so it was just the four it was just the four divisions there was three men's and one women's it was a lot smaller honestly there were a lot of teams and there are still a lot of teams that are more um you know very student run and very transient from one year to another where it's just kind of throwing the checkbook at the next kid that comes in hey i've done it for years i'm out of here um there still are teams that are like that but there was a lot more of it percentage wise then it was just it's most of the teams are much more informal although there were still were a lot of teams primarily in D one that were you know very well structured and had the support of the university in that and so it really has been interesting to see and a lot of that goes back to some of the rule changes that the ACHA made even before I was on the board like for example it wasn't until the year before I got hired a team didn't need to have a full-time non-player coach and a lot of teams still had a player coach sort of whoever the you know the fifth year sixth year seventh year guy and at Michigan State I think we just lost a guy that played for eight years or something because he kept changing majors and so there was no limit on on 
how long you could play. And there wasn't a limit on some of the other things that really have made it more of a, really have legitimized the league weren't in place then. You saw a lot of a lot of teams that were just more transient and just sort of just taking it year to year. And I would say also that there were a lot of teams that used to, and I think that's just some of the other rule changes that, you know, it wasn't uncommon to see a lot of just more informality on the teams. When you'd show up at a game and there'd be three different color helmets, nobody had gloves or even two or three different variants on a uniform or something that it wasn't that uncommon to see that where today that would be i mean today that would just be a disaster if somebody had that but that wasn't uncommon then and so it's really the league's really matured a lot and it's really gotten a lot lot more it's got to be a better product which is very very helpful for all the participants and the league also because it's a lot easier for the asha as as a board or as a group or as an organization to present that to sponsors or tournament hosts or anyone with whom we'd like to do business and say no no look this is this is legit look at look at what we have you know here's pictures here's the passion here's the dedication that all the players and the teams all have and this is a legitimate thing now so it's been really cool to see over the last 20 years that it really has matured in a, in a very very good and positive way that way so we've kind of talked about where the ACHA has been over the past two decades. Where would you like to see it go over the next five years, 10 years, and then two decades beyond? Well, that's a good question. I would say the, the main product is something we try to do with the um, with the national tournament in the last couple of years, having it in a central location. And that's I'm not going to talk too much about that because that's one of the things that's up sort of up in the air. There was a survey that went up on that. And, uh, you know, it's sort of that the ongoing debate between, um, you know, should we have a central tournament, a decentralized tournament? There's benefits to each. The benefit of having a centralized location for it and the idea behind that was primarily it gave us greater control over the venues and greater greater control, hopefully over the, um, especially the ice and the ice conditions, because when it was decentralized, there was some tournaments we really didn't know what was going to happen and how things were really going to going to shake out from that because for example in d2 we'd have the round robin play would have eight games a day and then you'd go to two then you'd go to one and just as a story in 2013 we were fortunate to play in the national tournament game and the rink we were playing at was the old rink it was this aging horrible rink in chesterfield missouri that when we rolled up on the bus the first day they were just finishing construction on this brand new sort of one of those outdoor outlet malls that's you know a mile long with all the stores and you walk through the, the gallery and in the middle and this rank was at the end of the development. You could see that what the owner perceived was that the land he owned was now worth far more than the ice rink and just stopped doing any sort of maintenance on it probably five years ago. And so it was kind of falling apart. And I think it was torn down within a couple of years after that. But the day before we had the national tournament, so this is the national championship game, which is at one or two in the afternoon, they had a two hour sticks and puck session with cones out and people are doing drills around the cones. And of course, you guys know what that means was there's just these ruts, probably an inch deep ruts of just these half moons around the uh, around the rink prior to the national championship game if you watch the video you can see paul heber and i out with the bucket of slush patching the ice up for 20 minutes before the game just to get in a playable condition again and it was that sort of thing that shouldn't be happening in our premier event of the year whether it's d1 d2 d3 whatever that is we should be able to rely that the facilities are going to give us their best product that we can that we can use those things so there was a lot of onus on that it 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 hasn't played out in terms of finding a location that's convenient for all the different levels that we have we've got if you look at the map 
uh, the different divisions there are. We have different sort of weightings throughout the country in that. And so that's one of the things we're looking at. But certainly virtually, though, and the ability to take those events, which are fantastic events, the competition's, you know, terrific. It's it's outstanding play. It's very exciting. And to virtualize that through either a, uh, either more of a broadcast thing, which is something we're working on now with Hockey Tech, and there's a lot of things in the works that hopefully that'll, uh, that'll improve that. But to bring it in that, really, and bring it more in the limelight about just how quality the play is at the tournament level is something that would be very beneficial to the league because it showcases the reason that some player that's making a decision about where to go to college, whether to go, you know, do I want to play juniors, go to college, NCAA D3, go play club somewhere. That would be very helpful to a person to be able to look at that and see that, you know, here is the level of play and they've got this this great postseason format and this incredible skill in postseason play that um, I'd want to be a part of. So it's trying to continue to raise the awareness of the league and um, hopefully at some point, as I mentioned, sponsorships, trying to find a um, what would be sort of the marquee sponsor of things, either, you know, a hockey brand or a lifestyle brand or something that would be able to sponsor that, throw some money at some of the tournaments and things like that so we could get out of having to charge quite as much for gate in those events as well because that's that's sort of a, a deterrent of that as well if if kids are coming from high school or want to go see a game and they got to pay you know thirty dollars for a day pass that's somewhat of a deterrent to participation too so that's where I'd like to see it go is to be able to figure out you know a way that we could um, improve that that visibility of the league and the quality of play hopefully reduce uh, hopefully reduce the cost of some of those some of those other things through really outside money coming in from somewhere and that's really cool to hear. Let's just play a hypothetical game real quick. If you had to pick that one brand that would be the sponsor for the tournament, who would you love to see do it? I mean, I would love to see somebody like Bauer or CCM or one of the big hockey companies do it. We do a lot with Warrior today. We have that, the equipment deal with Warrior and we have a great partnership with them. That would be terrific. There's other ones that come up, you know, occasionally. I mean, we can't do, obviously, like Budweiser, you know, uh, Grizzly or something like that, which... You know, that might be cool too, but um, that probably wouldn't be in the best long-term interest to everyone to have something like that. So, you know, there are other potential financial products, you know, uh, you know, a banking thing, a Chase, uh, PNC, something like that, that may want to have an affiliation with the league. If you think about the league today, it's, uh, you know, almost 20,000 college-age student-athletes throughout the country. And that's, that's a, a a very good demographic. And I would think there's a number of companies that would want to be involved with something like that. And so just finding the right one that makes sense for the league and generating the interest and having as much as we can. And it's something we really worked on with the national tournament and the broadcasting and even the, the photo type stuff is you have to have that portfolio of here's our product and we can show you what the product's been for the last several years. And we can't just talk conceptually about, oh, we have this great tournament and the players are extremely talented. It's very entertaining. Um, there's a lot of people go and watch, but I can't show you one. We don't have anything to show you. You have to be able to put together a a package of something in a way that media and building out that media is something we're working on today to sort of pave that way in order to to get those things in the future. Completely makes sense. I know if the Caps can throw a Caesar Sportsbook jersey patch on, maybe the ACHA is viable enough to, to consider a certain alcoholic beverage to, to sponsor the tournament. <laughs> who, who knows? <laughs> Whatever happens. But along the same vein of the national tournament, I went and listened back to the believe budget meeting the hour-long call that you guys have on youtube for the 2020 season and the national tournament that went behind that you obviously had to make a lot of challenging decisions in an unprecedented year 
Walk us through what that entire process looked like on your end and the headache that came along with that. Yeah, really, uh, that was really, actually, the timing of that would have been, was really about the best it could have been for us because that was, I can't remember the dates, it was March 10th, I don't know, do you guys remember when, it was really the NBA, when the NBA canceled the game, when they kicked everybody out of the arena, that was like the 10th or 9th or something? March 13th, I believe. March 13th, so... We were slated to start, I think, our tournament on March, I think, 20th that year. I think it was right around St. Patrick's Day or something. So it was within about a week and a half. And so we were to the point that timing of everything that we get that we have to do, there's a thousand things we have to get in the hopper and get going for the tournament, including flights and travel arrangements and referee scheduling and flights for referees and broadcasters and everything that we have to bring down there. And so those were all booked. So the flights were all booked. We ended up canceling those things and getting some of that back. But the the timing of the thing was such that there were things that we could cancel and get credit on and things we were already committed to and we couldn't do anything about it yet. What the process was, we went back and canceled um, everything we could. For example, we had all the hotel blocks. They would get canceled. I just sent the deposit in within the week before that. Uh, They were very good and sent that back. They canceled the blocks. We got all that money back. There was some equipment that was reserved for Dallas. Um, We had scaffolding and things for the broadcast equipment and things like that, that they also could cancel, refunded the the deposit we had on those things. The flights and such, which are booked, we were able to cancel that, but we were given credit from the airlines on that. So we we have uh, credits that we were using still this year that are still viable credits in that. And then some of the stuff we couldn't do, you know, there's printed materials, there's the banners that said, you know, national championship tournaments. If you were at the first one in Dallas, we, for each team got, there was a, like a four by eight printed thing with their logo, 2020 uh, national tournament. There was the belt buckles, which I mentioned before were, uh, were already made, you know, with the logo and everything. Those were part of the merch sales. All that stuff was in place already. And so uh, with all that stuff, we put together a um, package for each team because it, it, it really, really is as much of a hassle as it was for me to cancel this stuff and work with the commissioners and the event planners and um, the uh, tournament director and that down there. I, I really, really, really felt for the teams, though, that here they had made a national championship. Some, like Central Michigan, I know, hadn't made it in a number of years, and they won regionals an exciting finish and we're just incredibly fired up to be able to go and i really felt for the teams that that had that you know revoked at the last minute and that and so we took all that stuff that was already pre-printed in that and sent a package to each team so each team got you know their locker room magnet that would go on that would have gone on the door this banner that would have been hanging in the arena with their logo and their name and everything on it um a couple of the belt buckles and then some of the other pre-printed materials that we weren't able to use or reuse in the future again. So um, the problem with a lot of that stuff is it's once it has the tournament date and location on there, we can't reuse it. Um, some of the other stuff, just the old, you know, the old gray ACHA logo ones um, that don't have a date, we can reuse those or save those for this year. But there was a lot of stuff we weren't able to get out of, but most of it we were. Um, now in timing though, had that happened a week and a half, two weeks later. So if it had happened after the first day of the, the, like the first game of the tournament, I don't know what we would have done because we would have already been on the, we didn't pay for ice so we canceled that. So we didn't have to pay that. If we had started games, I don't know how that cancellation would have looked, but it would have been quite a bit different financially if we had actually started that and had actually flown everybody down there. And so the timing on that would have been about as best as we could deal with that. But yeah, a week or two later would have been disaster. I remember Syracuse, we'd lost to NYU in the conference playoffs. I mean, our conference was going to send Liberty and Stony Brook and 
Stony Brook came out that same time the NBA was shutting it down. Stony Brook was like, hey, we're not sending our team to nationals. And I remember the guys, we were furious for the guys at, at Stony Brook. We were like, oh my gosh, imagine doing all this hard work to go to nationals and, and your school's not going to send you. Little did we know that everything else in the world was yeah. going to shut down a week later. But what kind of went into planning the three national tournaments this past season? You guys were planning on having them all in one place. And then due to the pandemic, you guys opted to have four separate tournaments last year. Yeah, we had it set for, I think it was supposed to be in, in Marlboro. Of course, uh, Massachusetts is one of the forerunners of shutting things down and we're very, very restrictive. And that was one of the issues that you know, we had as a league last year was um, the different states had different restrictions. Um, in Michigan, they were probably middle of the road. The rinks were closed for probably about two months and then they reopened, they closed them again. Uh, we had various mass mandates and shutdowns in that. And then you also had the decisions that were made by the schools in terms of whether or not a team could go back and compete, even if the rinks were open publicly. Our school treated, uh, we report through student life or student affairs. And so we were in the group with all the other student groups and they just said blanket, no group activities, no travel, and didn't make an exception for the athletic one. So we were shut down. A number of other schools, if they reported through the athletic department, that was a different boat because if you remember, they had an exception for pro sports and college sports. So if a team reported reported through the athletic department, it was college sports, they were able to go or they got permission from the school to be able to do that. So we had various teams in various uh, states and readiness to play both from a internal perspective in terms of their regulations in the school and also just access to facilities in that. And as the year went on and more came back, and I was very optimistic that, and that was really, really one of the hardest things um, in coaching our team last year, I was just optimistic. And we had most of the team, we didn't really have tryouts though, because none of the students really came back. The dorms never really open, but most of the players that had been on the team already had their leases for their apartments. So they couldn't get out of those. So most of them didn't move up to school. So we did have enough and were able to, I was able to have, even though our team was not able to skate, I was able to put some skates together with a bunch of hockey kids that I know in the area. And we would skate at one of the off-campus rinks on occasion. There were a few other players that, that had actually moved into the dorms that were able to come out and join us and join the team as well. And I was eternally optimistic that we were going to get the green light both from the university and there'd be other people that we'd be able to play as well because there wasn't many other teams in the in the state that were playing with that. And as the year as the year went on, it was so, you know it was sort of well, but I think maybe I don't think they're going to start Thanksgiving, but maybe after Christmas next semester it's going to go. Still no, but more teams were coming back online around the country as well. And so by Probably the end of January, and we were monitoring it pretty closely about who was actually being able to compete and getting counts on those things by division. And as we saw that, you know, it was really D1 and D2 and the men's and women were starting to get enough where it be, would become something that would be able to, su to support some format of postseason play. And I think D1 was that way because they have a lot to go through, through the athletic departments. And so they were, it was easier for them to start, even though I know a lot of them had incredible testing regimens about, you know, I think. They were testing every every uh, three days and things like that, just like the NCAA counterparts were. And also a lot of the D3 teams were able to do that, too. And so when we first started talking in January about that, it looked like we were going to put something together for men's one um, and men's two. And the women's side, at the time, D3 really didn't have that many numbers in that. Towards the end of January, beginning of February, Michigan relaxed a pretty big deal related to the ranks and the competition. And a lot of the other Michigan teams in D3 were able to start 
right away again. And so the numbers went up and then we went back and looked. And at the end of the day, uh, there was enough to also have a D3 tournament as well. But it was very much scrambling to find a place that A, had ice in and was able to be open just from a state regulation perspective and would be it would allow fans in and would allow fans or visitors or allow teams to come in from out of state and play. All those things we didn't know we were going to find. And so if you look at where they were, that's where they were sort of in what you might call more remote places, northern Minnesota, up in the Dakotas, because from the very get-go, they said, this is no problem. We can we can have it here in Minot. And we were working with uh, Visit Minot and the, uh, and the Sports Authority up there. And they were very, very good and very, very uh, in a reserved way. But they were able, they said they were able to make it happen. And they did. It, was, it wasn't anything. There was absolutely no way we could have held that in any Michigan rink that I know of. And certainly not in Illinois. Um, Missouri was a little more relaxed than that. But it was just such a patchwork of what the restrictions were. It was really, really hard to tell what teams would be ready. And even if there was facilities that would be able to accommodate an event like that. Talking about the tournaments themselves, as a as a coach in the Division Two level, and like you mentioned earlier, it's it's really good when these national tournaments kind of showcase the skill level. I I know Herm will agree with me, but I personally thought the Division Two tournament was the best one to watch. I think in terms of quality and the fans and Bismarck. What did you think of the Division Two tournament? I thought that was fantastic, and they did they did a great job on that. Really, their broadcast was exceptional that they put together, and it was exciting in that. The D1, and that's one of the limits we have, and again, going back to what I was talking about earlier, one of the limits with the rank was in putting it together at the last minute, and I know there was a lot of complaints about it being filmed through that the screen and that, but you know, it was the best we could do with you know with the limited time we had to put that together. And But that's part of that in terms of control is if we can get there and see like how it's laid out, we could figure out some way to get around that screen and uh, uh, and, and so it's not so annoying with that. But yeah, D2 was fantastic. And the D3 tournament was really exciting too. I watched some of their games as well. What's kind of your, your thought process on the, the difference between the divisions? You've, you're coaching at the Division two level, but you get to oversee kind of the whole ACHA itself. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I see that mostly through, because um, of course they got to, the teams have to pay their dues. And so I'll work with the teams on paying dues. And overall, just there's a shift in the universities in the last, this is across the board. Universities are now getting probably in the last six or seven years, there's more and more universities that are much more formal in terms of vendor registrations and signing uh, signing up us, us up as a vendor. And I fill out probably this time of year when people are putting in their dues things, there's probably you know, 10 or 20, 25, 30 universities that will write and say, here, you got to fill out this vendor form and register as a vendor if you want us to pay our dues in that. And so I can see the difference in the levels of the teams or the levels, but the administrative functions they have over a team where some teams pay the bills on their own, some do it through the university, some are sponsored with the university, but more and more the ones that are paid through student affairs or student life, they have to actually be registered as a vendor and have a full account in there, which is just another layer of administration. But all in all, what, you've, what, it, what it seems to be is that, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a spectrum of teams in terms of what they have for support and just ongoing um, administrative function where they're, where they're everything from, you know, it's a school that's part of the athletic department. They have, you know, on staff coaches, coaches that are members of the faculty, access to training materials, access to, you know, the rink facilities and provided locker rooms, and even sometimes equipment and, and other things, all the way to... Really, it really is just that that club of, of interested hockey enthusiasts that, you know, find they scrape enough money together to pay their dues, schedule a few games here and there, uh, maybe get a bus, maybe drive to games, you know, try to get matching equipment and that. And, and every three or four years when somebody graduates, they just throw the checkbook and say, you know, here's it's on you now. So good luck with that. And, 
and helping those. And, and as a league, as the SHA, we try to support all those different teams across the spectrum. More and more, what you're seeing is more teams that are coming in at all levels, you know, all, all five divisions that are being run by the school and have some some more support by the school, either through resources or um, staff assistance or even enhanced guidance in that, where by far the, the, the most of the new ones coming in are in that category of being that very well supported, very organized organization that's out there too. But we still do, um, I do spend a lot of times on emails and phones helping everyone out through, you know, how to how to process a payment and where the check goes and all those things like that, or score sheets and everything else that they need to get done. But more and more, we're seeing that the new teams coming in are just those that are really probably started by the school, not by just that group of players that, hey, we have enough we have enough kids at school now that can play hockey. We want to join. So that still happens, but that's not the uh, that's not the bulk of the new the new teams that are signing up now. Jim, in your time with the league as, as a coach and as an off-ice official, who are some people that you've, you've come across that you kind of really represent the ACHA? The men's one commissioner, Brian Moran, is just a, an outstanding person. He's done really a tremendous amount of work to raise the uh, raise the competitiveness and raise the aura of the ACHA. I mean, he gets, you know, he has very, very strict expectations. He keeps everybody on board with that. He keeps everybody, you know, marching towards the same thing. And he really runs a very good organization with that. And, um, you know, he was the treasurer before me and he did a great job. Marshall Stevenson was the president for about 12 years who did quite a bit to raise the uh, the perception of the ACHA as well. And, um, and currently Paul Hebert, current president, who's at Sienna too does a tremendous job in getting her name out there and as well. When we got the uh, we first got an executive director, I think it's been five years now. Where we had Mike Wally for a few years, and then he moved on, and we have Craig Barnett now. and And Craig's done a, a fantastic job. He's incredibly well connected in the hockey community. He's the um, he's the head of player personnel for the NHL, so he knows everybody in hockey, and it's been great having those connections to the table and being able to raise our our connected with with other organizations. USA people have been great. USA hockey people have been great. And we really work with them since I've been on the board. That was sort of one thing that that I was always harping on was to move us off the uh, move us off the adult page. So and so USA Hockey actually on their website we are on a, a college page now. So there's a there's a college division now. That that just always gave me the red ass that if you wanted to find the ACHA on the USA Hockey website, you had to go to the adult page, and it was the Eagle River and Frozen Lake tournament. Sign up for your beer league in us and kept telling them that is neither one of those is what our league is and. Can't we have our own page? Well, it's no big deal. Uh, well, yeah, I know it's not, but it, it is. It's a big deal. So it's that, and that's that sort of thing of moving that perception and moving the needle on that perception. So one bit at a time, but getting it to where it becomes, you know, more and more of an established brand and an established product. And then lastly, before we go, Jim, we just want to want to touch base with you and figure out like, wh- when did you first hear about us and kind of what's the perception from the rest of the ACHA on, on what we're doing? Well, yeah, I saw it on, I think on the Instagram. So uh, I run our, our team Instagram account, uh, like and subscribe. So through that, of course, I follow, you know, all the, a uh, lot of other ACHA teams and players and everything else. And so I think in those sort of feed suggested accounts or things that both you and the other, uh, the other organization were coming up in there and just sort of seeing that and that and just, 
my initial perception was this is fantastic that this is really raising the connection. And that's what I talked about earlier is it's raising the connection between the ACHA brand and the individual player. That's really something that, you know, I try to work on and the board is very, very aware of. How do we have that connection with players and how do we how do we make sure that the players are being heard from? Because, again, it's um, again, we deal with mostly coaches and commissioners in that. And what 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 becomes somewhat apparent is that those things aren't always being passed down and there becomes a layer that sort of can interrupt the communication that we have with players. And so I think part of the registration process, we finally got the web vendor to start capturing when you register for your ACHA, for the ACHA roster and get your USA hockey membership, we can capture those emails and start to have more direct conversations with that. I, I've always thought that the national meeting would be much better served by having it a little later so it wasn't during finals. Right now it's during finals week, so players can't come. But have it three weeks later and have players be able to come, have it on nutrition, have it on branding, equipment shows, things like that. They can check everything out. I think that would be a great way to do that. But um, for one reason or another, we have not been able to do that yet. But I think you guys do a great job in, in, as I said, raising the the awareness of the product and the brand and uh, really championing, championing what we've got going on with this and you're I, I absolutely echo what you said that the ACHA players are incredibly dedicated student athletes and um in, incredibly passionate about their league and even going back to uh you know what you said when I first started coaching it was sort of a oh yeah you're just gonna go play club or I'm gonna go you know uh, whatever I don't know I'm, I'm not gonna do anything I'm gonna play club and that was a perception there was it was basically well it's sort of the local school beer league thing and now talking to high school kids they absolutely would love to be able to play in the ACHA and they they'd say that's their goal. Uh, my goal after I graduate is to go play college somewhere or ACHA. And it's been fantastic to see that. And the work that you do in, in carrying that message has been absolutely fantastic. Well, Jim, if, if there is ever a time where the players get to go to those summer meetings, let me know because I'd love a, a quick vacation in Naples. That's exactly right. Well, and again, it's uh, it's the other uh, that's the other problem is, and uh, you know, we, there's there wasn't money to pay for people to come. So <laughs> everybody has to make their own way down there, but. You know, somewhere that's even easier to get to Naples for most people is, and I know when I talk to the people that come from the West Coast that, you know, transferred through Atlanta and then Orlando or something, they had two stops to get to Naples or get to uh, to Fort Myers is uh, amazing to me. Maybe, maybe somewhere like Chicago or Vegas or something would be easier for people to get to, so... I don't know that that might be that might be a liability to send all the players to Vegas for a week. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to do that. I, we've not, I've not taken the team there yet either for exactly that reason. Uh, I know a lot of people go, and uh, it's a great time and it's a great trip. But I've not I've not made that jump yet. So, well, hey Jim, we we really appreciate you taking the time to meet with us and, and answer so many questions about the league. It's cool to get a, a behind the scenes perspective on kind of the operations side of of the league. No, it's terrific, and thanks so much for having me. And um, if you want to refresher want me to come back i'm always happy to do it so it's always great to do that if you get a deluge of questions i, I doubt you would but if you did get you know cards and letters coming in with questions i'd be happy to come back and answer anybody's other questions that they might have too so once again thank you to jim martin for coming on the show and joining us that interview was presented by selly hockey co for all your retro hockey apparel needs visit selly hockey co dot com and follow them on instagram at sellyhockey.co.
Jim was great. The jersey I have hung up behind me for every episode, the Shamrock-themed ACHA jersey. He's the one who hooked that up for me. He's the treasurer for the ACHA, and he's been a a huge supporter of the show since he found out about it. He also sent us the ACHA banner that I proudly hang up here at the Hockey House in in Syracuse, and everybody comments anytime I post that on on our Instagram story. They're like, where can I get one? Where can I get one? And uh, you got to know Jim to get one of those. So he's a great guy, and Herm and I love Loved listening to, to all his stories that he had about his time in the ACHA. One of the topics we talked about with Jim was having players go to the summer meetings for the ACHA down in Naples. And I said that was a, it was a fantastic idea. I, w- I would love a little uh, little vacation in Naples, Florida to talk ACHA hockey and hang out with some of the guys. I don't know how, how productive we would be, but I'm sure you guys would both agree that guys would probably love that idea. 100%. Yeah, that's sick. Around the league, we have our game of the week is a CHF matchup. On Friday night, we have the Clemson Tigers traveling to the Plex in South Carolina to take on the Gamecocks. They are going to be playing in game one of the Palmetto Cup, which is the annual cup given to the winner of the series between Cock Hockey and Clemson Hockey. That one will be exciting. We saw how packed the Plex was on opening night for the Kennesaw State matchup. Thought that might have been a game of the week, maybe, but no, we were waiting for this Clemson matchup. That's going to be great. A game where they usually have to turn people away at the door and with COVID restrictions I'm sure it's going to be not nearly as packed as it once was for a game like that but can't wait to see it our guys Joey Kalega, Cam Mecca and Gorms and Net rooting for our guys but we're just rooting for a great hockey game down south so that'll be an exciting one like we said uh, I forget how many episodes ago but you just have a game get a random trophy and it'll definitely get everyone going so definitely excited to see how that goes yeah, trophy games get to, they get everybody going. So no trophy will be handed out after this one because you gotta. I, I don't know how they hand it out, but they play two games for it. So assuming if you get the sweep, you get the trophy. But I'm not sure what they do if they split. It must come down to goal differential. If you split, they just cut the trophy in half. If, if they split, nobody should get the trophy. It should go to a, a different South Carolina school. Then it goes to North Carolina, hops the border. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It actually they have to give the cup to NC State and UNC, and then they play it in the backyard brawl. And then if they're tied, it just goes to the the state north of that. I want to say that's Virginia. And then just two Virginia teams play. And then hopefully in eight years, the trophy will be in central New York so Syracuse can play for it. Well, that brings us to our question of the week. Talking with Jim Martin from the ACHA office this week. What is one thing that you would implement if you were commissioner of the ACHA for the day? We'll throw it over to Glick first. So this is kind of a bit out of left field and a bit unrealistic, but I think just allowing fighting would be, I think, a lot of fun. I I mean, you know, the fans come to see big hits and all that. So I think fighting would just increase the atmosphere and increase ticket sales. I think that's an interesting point. Not only would I would it do that, but I think it would draw guys away from D3 NCAA. If you played all those years of juniors and then you saw the you only got a five minute major for fighting in the ACHA, like I think that would draw some guys to come play. Are we having everyone wear halfers then or are we just wearing cages and taking them off? I don't know. I guess it would just be up to the player, but you know, as long as there's some sort of fighting, that'd be the rule I make. Oh, and also I'd make the uh, hockey house, the official sponsor of the ACHA completely. That that's also a great call and and, and you know a necessary one at, at best. So to thank you for doing that, Click Fitz. If you're in the office, what are you doing? I know we've talked about it before, but forming some sort of like you know ESPN for ACHA, so something that recaps the games because. 
you know, there's so much that goes on across the league during the season and uh, during the weekend. So even if it just started out like on YouTube or something, I think that a lot of people would be interested in that kind of stuff. Uh, don't get Herm and I going. We ha- we'd have Hockey House TV live next week. That's where I, you know, pretty much stole the idea. You guys talk about it all the time. So I could just picture like Herm and I get uh, get a place somewhere and we've got like eight TVs on the wall and we're trying to watch every game. That's what it feels like scrolling through social media on a Friday night. We talked about this with Cam Francis when he was on in Ben Smith, but I really think the ACHA needs to capitalize on bowl games. I know we just talked about how important everyone loves playing for a trophy. Like every game should be a trophy game. Maybe let's limit the number of teams that make nationals, make it a little bit harder to get to nationals. And then any team above 500 is eligible to play in a bowl game. And so you get paired up with a team in your division and then you travel to a neutral site and you play a best two out of three series over a weekend and then and then they get a you get to bring a cup home i think that would be great i know syracuse a couple years ago won their conference but wasn't ranked high enough to go to nationals oh bowl game like you know you get to go somewhere fun and it's not nearly as expensive as uh maybe traveling all the way down to texas so i think that's what i would implement and that's a pretty realistic one too you know i it'd be kind of hard to ban fighting and an entire of the asha creating an entire new channel but I mean, that's definitely something that's pretty viable, in my opinion. And I think when you say realistic, too, it's like if you take the president of one hockey team and the president of another hockey team, you just organize the game. It would probably be pretty easy to do. I feel like we need to make this happen now that I just like, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> when, you, when you said it, I was like, like Glick said, it's so we could do it like among ourselves almost. Just we don't even need yeah. the commissioner. The, the problem is it, usually like the sponsorship of the bowl game provides everything. Like, I don't think we have the funds to do a hockey house cup. So maybe the hockey house cup would be presented by somebody. I don't know. A hockey house tournament would be fun someday. That'd be sick, especially if it was outdoors. Once again, thank you to everyone for tuning in for this episode of the hockey house. We're glad that the season is underway and that there's plenty of action around all the leagues that we come. We hope everyone is enjoying the season and staying safe. Take care. Thanks, boys. See you guys next week.